little boys and girls. This is Sarah. And this is Ashley. And this is your first ever Ho Ho Hometown Homicide Holiday Happy Hour. Emphasis on the happy hour. Grab a drink, everybody. This is the first and only bonus you're going to get for free. You, I, mine's oh, open. you need one. Damn, sorry. I misunderstood. I thought we were doing it together. She tried to make that very dramatic. I thought we were doing it together. <laughs> On today's first bonus episode, since Christmas is now. <laughs> It is now. We wanted to bring you some short stories. Short. Short. True stories slash facts slash statistics. But some stories that happened on Christmas Eve slash Christmas Day. Christmassy related topics. Christmas murders. Murders. And yes, this is this is the <gasps> type content we're looking for. And also, since this is a happy hour one, mm-hmm. we do have a drink in hand. Yes. And we want you to have one in hand as well. Yes. First shout out to Happy Hour at Local Port, <clears throat> where tonight started um, with their two for one. So thank you. Not for Local me, Port. I was at work. But we are actually, you can't see us, we both have our... Tallboy LP street food koozies. Not sponsored. Yet. At us. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Mm. So my, and I have not heard of this one before. Um, this was called a failed Christmas deed. Um, this was of, this happened on Christmas Day, 2016. Mm-mm. Trisha McCauley, she was on her way to a Christmas party at a friend's house in Washington, D.C. Um, she stopped to give a stranger a ride. Instead Always of a mistake. thanking Trisha for being a good Samaritan, for, you know, stopping to give her or him a ride, Adrian Johnson got into McCauley's vehicle, sexually assaulted her, mm. And then beat and strangled her to death with her own scarf. Dick. Right? The next night, police reportedly spotted Macaulay's car in a pharmacy parking lot. And then inside, they found Johnson with the keys to Macaulay's car, along with several of her credit cards, in his possession. When officers searched Macaulay's vehicle, they found her body was bound and wedged in the back seat. So he had been driving around with her dead in the back seat of her own car. Lovely. On September of two thousand, or in September of two thousand seventeen, Johnson pleaded guilty to first degree murder. Um, the following November, he was sentenced to thirty years in prison and was given the option of being placed on thirty years of supervised release, in addition as a sec registering as a sex offender following the completion of his prison term yes i read that i'm like wait he got the option of serving 30 years in prison or this and it's like no 
after the completion of his prison term. So, uh, yeah. So that is short story of what happened to Trisha McCauley, Christmas Day, 2016. Well, that's sad. That sucks. Yeah. Um, some of my little weirdo blurbs, I delved into some old newspapers. And some of the wording and things on these is just too good to to not read verbatim. Um, this one is from a newspaper published January 5th of 1900. <laughs> but it happened Christmas Day. Accidental Christmas murder in Topeka, Kansas. Maggie Dreyer, the 14-year-old daughter of John Dreyer, was shot and instantly killed on December 25th by Mrs. William S. Taylor, which back then, most of the time, it was a Mrs. and husband's name. It was never mm-hmm. us. Right. A number of children, including Maggie Dreyer, were at the Taylor house playing with pop guns when Mrs. Taylor said, it's a little blurry in the, it's like scanned said she had something that would beat their pop guns, picked up an old musket, which accidentally discharged, and shot the girl in the chest, killing her immediately. Oh, no. Yeah. That's it. That's all there is. But, yeah, accidentally shot a girl on Christmas. Gun safety. I mean, I don't know that they really teach musket safety. Okay, yeah, musket safety, my bad. Okay, so the next one is of Ed and Minnie Morin. On Christmas Eve 1985, the dead bodies of Wilhelmina Minnie Morin and Edward Ed Morin were found in a wooded area of Washington State. The couple had been shot to death in their car before they were dragged out into the wilderness somewhere in Washington. Chalalis, Washington. Chalula? How how do you spell it? (laughs) C-H-E-H-A-L-I-S. Chalalis? C-H-E-H-A-L-I-S. Chalalis, Washington. Okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Minnie was 83, Ed was 81, were reported missing by family members on December 19th, 1985, after they failed to show up to a family Christmas party. On December 20th, following witness reports that the Morin's car had been found, investigators discovered there was a large amount of blood, excuse me, large amount of blood stains, and the keys were in the ignition. Several other witnesses noted that they had also seen the car at the Sterling Savings and Loan Bank. Rick and John Riff were primary suspects from the beginning of the murder investigation, but there was no evidence to suggest motive or possible cause for several decades. In 1987, the Rife Rife brothers moved to Alaska, but police continued to investigate their role in the case. On July 10th, 2012, much later, Mm -hmm. Rick Rife was finally arrested and extradited back to Washington to stand trial for the double murder. Ironically, John had died a week before the police reached King Salem, Alaska, to arrest the brothers. Rick was found guilty of kidnapping, robbery, and carrying out the murder of Ed and Minnie. 
He was sentenced to 103 years in prison. Hmm. At least someone was brought to justice. Right. My next little one is from the Indianapolis News, December 28th, 1937. The headline is, Muncie Slayer of Mother May Die. Subtitle, Former Sousa Band Cornetist. Cornet player. Cornetist. Cornet. Cornet. Isn't that a Clarinet? No, it says cornet. Cornetist. What the fuck is a cornet? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> yeah. I can read. I can see the word, but now you're making me think, oh, God, what is it? Cornetist. I mean, not to sound stupid. I mean, yes, I've cornet had a couple to drink. It's happy hour. Yeah, trumpets and cornet. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's cornet. Because that sounds weird. <laughs> a cornet. It's a fucking brass instrument, like a trumpet. Okay. Maybe. I'm not crazy. See, even the cornet, cornet is okay. a brass instrument similar to the trumpet, but distinguished from, <clears throat> derp, but distinguished from it by its conical bore, more compact shape, and mellower tone quality. Sure. You know what? I had to fail out of band in order for my mom to let me quit. I hated it that much. And I'm like, I don't want to be in this. Don't want to do it. My senior year. She's like, nope, you have to. I'm like, okay. So I failed. (laughs) Failed to show up to anything. And when I finally was starting to fail out, she let me quit. It's better than doing to your mom what this guy did. (laughs) (laughs) My band teacher was Mr. Wacker. That's unfortunate. My orthodontist was Dr. Dewar. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like D-U-E-H-R. Do I think that's how. Yo, Monty. Monty and Dubuque people. I think it was Dr. Dewar. At least it wasn't Dr. Donor. All right. Anyway. Muncie Slayer of Mother May Die. Former Sousa band Cornetist confesses Christmas killing with axe. In Muncie, Indiana, annoyance by a mother's constant concern over a son's absence from home was given by police today as the cause of the axe slaying of Mrs. Phoebe Nixon, age 72, and the wounding of her son, Jesse Nixon, age 52, former first cornetist with the John Philip Sousa Band. Uh. Sorry. Excuse you. I know. Police said Nixon confessed slaying his mother with the axe and leaving her body lying on a floor in her home and then shot himself in the head as they came to his home to question him concerning his mother's death. He fell near a Christmas tree under which gifts were piled. He didn't die, by the way. Um, Physicians at Ball Memorial Hospital, where Nixon was taken, expressed fear he would die. Nixon wrote a number of notes insisting he was not insane, but had contemplated killing his mother for two years, quote, because every time I left on a musical engagement, mother would write and insist that I return home. In the notes, he deplored the fact that Americans, quote, no longer liked good music and gave that as a reason for his attempting to kill himself. Associates said he is known as a devotee, devotee of classical music, 
but was not regarded insane, although he was thought by them to be a, quote, crank on musical matters. But yeah, she was butthurt about him being a cornetist. <laughs> when policemen entered his home and ordered Nixon to drop that gun, he fired a bullet into his head, first pointing the gun at a police officer. Mrs. Nanny Davis, a neighbor, found the body of the mother. Um, Nixon said he called on his mother Christmas afternoon. They quarreled and he grabbed the axe, striking her on the head. She was dead before he left the home. And he said he returned home and told his wife about the slaying. I forgot that part. How do you just go home and be like, yo, I killed my mom with an axe. And then carry on. Yeah, and then just like, you know, chilling. Don't kill your mom over band. That's a band geek, whole nother level situation. Next one that I'm sure everybody knows about. I know we like to keep it to lesser crimes, but since it is Christmas and focusing on Christmas tragedies, the case that remains unsolved so Christmas mystery is that of six-year-old Jean Benet Ramsey, mm-hmm. who went missing after spending Christmas with her family in 1996. The following day, on December 26, her body was found in the basement of her Boulder, Colorado home. And according to her mother, Patsy, a ransom note demanding $118,000 for her daughter's safe return was found in the early morning. However, the little girl was discovered later that afternoon. Uh, Jean, Jean Benet had a fractured skull, had been sexually assaulted, and was strangled. In turn, her death was ruled a homicide. I mean, this one has been on every... I remember growing up, and it was on every mm-hmm. magazine cover. That's all you heard about. Even recently, there was a 2020 episode of it. Maybe. Something like that. Still, to this day, they have no idea what happened to Jean Benet. There have been rumors of different suspects and whatnot. As years went by and no major leads were made in the case, much of public began to view the Ramses as guilty of their daughter's murder. For example, when questioned, John and Patsy gave inconsistent stories. Additionally, the ransom note was discovered to have been written on paper found inside of their house. And fibers that were retrieved from the duct tape on John Benet's body matched the same fiber on Patsy's clothes. Nonetheless, in 1999, the case against the Ramses was dropped after Boulder District Attorney Alex Hunter decided that there was insufficient evidence to charge them. At present, no new information has been uncovered pertaining to her death, and no one has been convicted of the crime. So, still today, it has remained unsolved, and the investigation is still open. I believe... Patsy, I can check quick, has, yeah, uh, Patsy Ramsey passed away June 24th, 2006. Shit, she did? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. And John has remarried, it looks like. 
Interesting. Yeah. BuzzFeed Unsolved True Crime did an episode on this case. Uh, I don't know if you watched them. Ryan and Shane. I've seen some of it, yeah. They have parted ways with BuzzFeed now, but when they were part of part of BuzzFeed, they did an episode and went into some of the suspects and things that the dude said, and it was just like, that's extra creepy. There's multiple suspects. Random people to the family members, and it's just no evidence has ever concluded to who it was. But yeah, I do remember that very vividly. I mean, she was a beautiful little six-year-old girl. Yeah. Tragic. Another tragic. This one I found interesting. Because I'm out of beer. Oh. 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 Murder. Just gotta get another beer. Wanna get me my other one while you're up? Might as well. Beer break. Beer break. Let's do a beer break. Yeah. But all right. This one is from the Kansas City Gazette. Kansas City, Kansas, wrong side of the border. Uh, December 27th, 1897 is when this one was published. Newspaper title, A Christmas Murder. Murder. It's not, I mean, it's not funny, but. It's never funny. All these old-timey articles have, like, a title and then two or three subtitles a lot of the time. I don't really understand that, but. Title, A Christmas Murder. Subtitle. All about a proposition to force whiskey down a poodle dog. No. Second subtitle, all caps, two roommates and whiskey. Third subtitle, two Belgium friends quarrel and one murders the other, stabbed and tumbled down stairs with a broken neck. Dun, dun, dun. Sunday morning, a murder occurred in the room, in a room on the second floor of a boarding house on South Water Street in Kansas City, Kansas, not far from the stockyards. Charles Vlees killed his roommate, Hector Rainers. Rainers and Vlees were fellow countrymen, natives of Belgium. Yo, shout out to Belgium, because we got a watch, a watcher, a listener there. They were both unmarried and had been roommates for three years. Their room was known among their friends as, quote, Bachelor's Hall. An attempt to pour a drink of whiskey down the throat of a common white poodle led to the fight between the two men who had been warm personal friends for years, resulting in murder. Don't hurt an animal. They had several bottles of whiskey in the room. John Gunther, a young friend, called to spend the day with them. After a number of rounds of drinks, Vlees wanted to force Rainer's pet poodle dog to drink some whiskey. No. Claiming that, quote, a dog should be as merry as the master. Rainer's objected. Animal abuse. A quarrel followed, and finally he ordered Vlees to leave the house. Vlees refused to go, and Rainer's picked up an old shotgun, which had no cartridges in it, for the purpose of scaring him into leaving. Vlees attempted to take the gun away from him, and a hand-to-hand encounter ensued. The men struggled and fought over the room, and young Gunther, fearing serious trouble, rushed from the house into the street. A number of people had been attracted to the scene and found the dead body of Rainers lying bottom... Derp. Lying at the bottom of the stairs... Which leads to the room occupied by the two bachelors. When Rainer's body was lifted from the floor, his head fell on his chest, and it was at once discovered that his neck was broken. 
Blood was gushing from a knife wound in the in his left side. Valise was placed under arrest. S. H. Wisner, 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 acting coroner, was notified and after viewing the remains, ordered them taken to Daniels and Comforts morgue. I, I just find it strange that the word comfort is in the name of a morgue. It goes on a bit and Fleece contradicted himself. But um, in the long run, yeah, dudes were drunk. One got mad about the other one trying to force feed his dog vodka. Whiskey, excuse me. And uh, ended up killing their friend. And then got chucked down the stairs. Be nice to animals, please. Right, and even... Even if someone wants to do something questionable like that, maybe don't get in a fight and kill your friend. All right. Mine is going to be, it is called a Christmas killing spree. So this happened on Christmas Eve, 1992. Mm -hmm. A group of teenagers gathered together to carry out what is known today as the bloodiest killing sprees in Dayton, Ohio's history. Laura Taylor, 16, and her boyfriend, Marvelous Keen, 19, and 20-year-old Heather Nicole Matthews kicked off the murder spree with Joseph Wilkerson. The trio bound Wilkerson to the headboard of his bed and shot him in the head and chest, ransacked his house, and stole his car. From there, the teens picked up Matthews' 17-year-old boyfriend, Demarcus, Maurice Smith and cruised down Dayton for their next victim. The group shot 18-year-old Danita uh, Gulliet five times while she was talking on a payphone. The self-proclaimed downtown posse stole her coat, shoes, and a backpack that contained only 50 cents. Next was Matthew's ex-boyfriend, Jeffrey Wright. Smith shot Wright four times in the legs, but Wright was able to escape to a neighbor's house and survive. On Christmas Day, Taylor met up with her ex-boyfriend, 19-year-old Richmond Maddox. The pair drove together while Keen, Smith, and Matthews trailed behind them. When Maddox grew suspicious of the situation, Taylor shot him in the head. On December 26, the group robbed the Short Stop Mini Market, a family-owned grocery store, and shot the clerk, Sarah Abraham, a bystander was also shot in the hand and stomach, but he did survive. Abraham died of two gunshots to the head five days later. Jeez. I mean, to survive for five days after two I gunshots mean, to the head? Aren't there anyway. The gang made off with $44 from the store. Wow. Forty-four bucks. Forty-four dollars. Lastly, the group picked up Wendy Cortell, sixteen, and Marvin Washington, eighteen, and executed them in a city-owned gravel dump. Police did not find their bodies until December twenty-seventh. The rampage finally ended with police spotting a vehicle that had been stolen on December twenty-sixth, and then, upon investigation, police found Smith, Keen, Matthews, and Taylor inside of the car and arrested all of them. At present, Taylor and Matthews are serving life sentences for murder at the 
Ohio Reformatory for Women. Um, and then it looks like Keene was executed via lethal injection at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility, hmm. July 1st of 2009. Oh, Smith is also serving a life sentence at the Mansfield Correctional Institute. So only one was executed. Hmm. But they caused a lot of destruction. Yeah. For no good reason. I also watched this on Oxygen Network. Hmm. Um, they called Homicide Holiday or Holiday Homicide, whatever their show is called. And this came on. I'm like, oh, so I've been reading about that. So that was interesting. Yeah. If you guys need to get a, a refresher, go for it. <laughs> Hit pause. We'll be here when you come back. Uh, another Christmas killing. From the Emporia Daily News of Emporia, Kansas, December 26, 1885. Kings City, Missouri. Christmas was celebrated here by a double killing, which threatens to result in a lynching. On Thursday night, two brothers named Hater, like last name H-A-Y-T-E-R, but hearing it, it's like Haters? Um, arrived in town and soon became so boisterous that Marshal F.M. Miller attempted to arrest them. They resisted and jumped on their horses, drew revolvers, and rode up and down Main Street, firing at whatever object attracted their attention. So, like, a real 1885 of them. <laughs> You're just going with, like, the old times. some, like, cool, old, old-timey old t- stuff, man. <laughs> I've got some newer things, but... Some things that jumped out at me was this one, mostly because of the wording and, like, the whole circumstances. When the guns were unloaded, the marshal opened fire and killed one of them instantly and dropped another. The populace of the town gathered where the men had fallen, and as Hayter had many friends, the action of the marshal is condemned. Relatives of the Haters arrived from the country yesterday in such strong numbers that the marshal was locked up for safekeeping. It is feared that an attempt will be made to lynch him. The last sentence of the article, great excitement prevails. Great excitement? It was like so old timey. Another little itty bitty teeny tiny old timey one. This is from 1881 in Vernon County, Vern- oh, the paper is called Vernon County Censor. So, Baroqua, Wisconsin. I think I said that right. Emil Hoya, formerly of Milwaukee, suicided in jail at Omaha, Nebraska on Christmas with morphine, which he had from his physician. He secretly accumulated enough to commit the act. He was in jail for impersonating a revenue officer. He hoarded enough morphine to kill himself because he had got caught impersonating a revenue officer. That's an extreme reaction to the crime. Yeah. Unless they treated that crime back then. I mean, I suppose. I didn't look into how that was treated then, but just the all the wording and on morphine and for impersonating a revenue officer. I was like, well, that's okay. That's a thing, but all right. Interesting. Yes. 
Okay, your turn. Crazy things that happened in the 1800s. Ah, that's the last, that's the last 1800s one I'll, I'll share, I swear. Okay. <clears throat> so mine um, happened on Christmas Day 2016 when James Hutchinson stabbed his partner, Nicola Woodman, to death in their Bankholm Court home in Bradford. Hutchinson committed the horrific murder based on the alleged suspicion that Woodman had been cheating on him. However, there was no evidence to support his claim. Solid. Okay. Woodman, who was also pregnant with their child, was stabbed with two knives and struck with the handle of a wooden pickaxe. As a result, she received at least 102 external injuries. Including more than 20 stab wounds. Woodman's body was discovered on December 26th after Hutchinson called the emergency services himself. The next morning, Hutchinson was arrested after he was found to be asleep in Woodman's car. He is currently serving a prison term of at least 23 years and will only be considered for early release if the parole boards deems him to be safe. Okay. He killed his partner and unborn child and only got 23 years. Right. And I don't know. It just says their home in Bradford. So I don't know where this was, but only 23 years. The justice system is weird, man. Very. This one is from 2002. Okay. Fast forward. St. Louis... St. Louis Post-Dispatch out of St. Louis, Missouri. Man pleads guilty in Christmas killing of a lottery winner. In Springfield, Missouri, a young man who had been expected to withdraw his earlier guilty plea in the Christmas Day killing of a lottery winner decided instead to accept the state's plea bargain. Jeffrey Williamson, 18, pleaded guilty Wednesday of second-degree murder and Greene County Circuit Judge Henry Westbrook sentenced him to 20 years in prison. Williamson also got concurrent sentences of 10 years for armed criminal action, 15 years for first-degree burglary, and 7 years for first-degree tampering. He will have to serve 17 years before becoming eligible for parole. Co-defendant Eugene Claypool Jr., 21, was sentenced last October to life in prison for second-degree murder, and he'll have to do 25 years before becoming eligible for parole. Like Williamson, Claypool also got concurrent terms of 10 years for armed criminal action and 15 years for first-degree burglary and seven for first-degree tampering. These two men killed Donald Hardwick, a 72-year-old invalid who had won a $1.7 million Missouri lottery jackpot in 1998. He was slain at his home on Christmas Day 2000. Authorities said Williamson and Claypool broke into Hardwick's Springfield home searching for the $10,000 they believed he had there. The victim's granddaughter, Amy Hardwick, sobbed as she told the court that, quote, the pain still lingers 16 months after the crime. Quote, we have not forgotten, nor will we ever forget. The murder constantly torments us, and none of us 
will ever feel safe in our homes. Prosecutors say Williamson and Claypool searched the house for several hours before going into the room where Hardwick was sleeping. The feeble Hardwick, who couldn't walk without using a walker, awoke, and the authorities say Claypool tried to restrain him. Williamson reportedly held a couch cushion over the man's face while Claypool stabbed him multiple times in the chest and throat. A Bible was, a Bible was left on the victim's chest, and his wife Edna found him dead on Christmas morning. Oh, no. Right? That's so sad. Old folks just trying to get by, winning a jackpot, murdered by two asshats, looking for easy money. Okay, so my last one is of Katie Locke. So on Christmas Eve 2015, Katie Locke met up with Carl Langdell for a date at a hotel after meeting on the dating website app. Now, plenty of fish. (laughs) All right. Good old POF. Mm -hmm. Go on. And they were enjoying their first date with the festive holiday as their backdrop. Carl told Katie... So Carl was 26, Katie was 23, told her that he owned his own law firm. In reality, the young man had spent two years suffering from extreme mental illness and visiting psychiatric hospitals on and off. Mm. So when the two met up, Carl brutally murdered Katie, had sex with her corpse, then dumped her body in a bush near the hotel grounds. Carl had also taken photos of Katie's body on his iPhone. After a two-day sentencing hearing in 2016, Carl was convicted and set to serve at least 26 years in prison for murdering Katie. In 2017, Carl attacked a prison officer and was awarded an additional three years in prison. Awarded is a weird wording choice. I know that's not you. That, yes, I agree. But, (laughs) so he gets 26 years for brutally murdering someone. Mm Mm-hmm. Having sex with a corpse. Right. And then three years for attacking a prison officer. I have a feeling he's going to, like, be in there for a long time just because he's going to keep fucking up. Probably. Hopefully. And they're going to keep adding to that. Hopefully. Yes. Because he should not be out in society. No. Definitely not. Yeah, that happened Christmas Eve 2015. I'm just going to say this. Like, if I, like, I'm not going to be out... Meeting someone from Plenty of Fish, never been on the site, on Christmas Eve. Sorry. I mean, everybody does stuff different. It's true. Also, um, not to get into it, but on Christmas Eve, 1945, also the Sauter family children. Oh, yes. Which I had skimmed through. I have heard it in multiple other podcasts. But five of the nine Sauter family children are just disappeared. Gone after a fire 
a very suspicious fire in the home. And unless those children were burnt up to nothing, it's it's mysterious. Yeah, they just just disappeared. But um, that one is a really long, long story. But I I did have to mention the Sauter children um, that are still missing or that were missing from the 1945 Christmas. Yeah, like in the middle of the night or something because it took like an absurd amount of time for the fire department to get there. And I mean, I've seen multiple things about it. Yeah, it looks More like a so fire... the BuzzFeed Unsolved. I'm a huge BuzzFeed whore, so. Yeah, 8 a.m. the fire truck like finally arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was nothing but rubble at mm-hmm. that point. But yeah. That was just something I, I wanted to bring up. Not going to get into the full story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've all heard it, but the the uh, Sauter family children. Yes. I don't really have any more stories per se, but some little facts and tidbits and things I found interesting. The word nog is from the word grog, which means any drink made from rum. Really? Yeah, found that tidbit appropriate for the happy hour. Speaking of nog, yes, we tried the tr- nope the Bud Light. Oh, oh, oh! Ugly sweater holiday yeah. pack, righto. And the seltzer nog mm-hmm. was my favorite. Ugh. I just don't do seltzers. In the United States, dried Christmas trees. Like overly dried real Christmas trees. Mm -hmm. Cause an estimated 100 fires resulting in about 10 deaths and $15.7 million in property damage. I believe it. Yeah. That's why I am terrified to have a real tree. Ugh, the X was always, well, they're a fire hazard. Well, like everything is fire hazard and everything's going to give you cancer. So shove off. I'm not going to mention his name on here. (laughs) Uh, let's see. Christmas purchases account for one-sixth of all retail sales in the United States. And that, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's messed up, but... Crazy. Tiny Tim in Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol, was almost named Little Fred. <laughs> but I looked at that, I'm like, no, that, no. L- little Fred. <laughs> <laughs> not work for me. <laughs> so to the Greeks, the Kalikanseroi, I think I said that right, are small goblins who live underground all year, but come out during the 12 days of Christmas to intimidate people, spoil food, and pee in flower beds. Greek families will use black-handled knives, the lower jaw of a pig, or a tangled string hung over a doorway to ward off the little monsters. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. And much like the werewolf superstition, apparently there was a werewolf thing right before this one, but I didn't take it. Children born on Christmas Day are thought to be a risk of turning into Calicanceroi themselves. So apparently you don't want a Christmas baby because they're going to turn into a goblin that lives underground and he's oh. in your flower bed. 
Wow. I couldn't, I couldn't not. I'm like, really? Okay. The restaurant Denny's, known for its always open motto, decided to give the employees Christmas Day off in 1988. The only problem was that all seven, oh wait, no. The only problem was 700 of the franchise's then a little over 1,200 locations had no locks per their policy of being always open. So thankfully, corporate was able to come through with last minute installations. Can you imagine not? I mean, you never close, so you don't need to lock the door. But uh, what if something like traumatic would happen? Like you needed to lock the door or like there was some sort of damage or a car runs into a building you know it's not like all the time but things happen like you don't have the ability to lock your freaking building that's weird i found that interesting let's see oh the u.s consumer product safety commission estimates there are approximately fifteen thousand decoration related emergency room visits each holiday season now i want to know what the hell they're they're harming themselves on I mean, you have people falling off of the roof. I spell, yeah, okay. putting up Christmas lights. I'm just like, how? Why? Why is the carpet all wet, Todd? <laughs> uh, Christmas vacation. Yeah. You not? Just, you don't remember that line? Oh, the neighbors. Yes, Elaine. Yep, Elaine. Nuts, yeah. Why is the carpet wet? All wet, Todd. I don't know, Margot. <laughs> With their weird matching jumpsuits. <laughs> yeah, I just watched that the other day. <laughs> she looked at me like I had three eyeballs, and I'm like, I, you have to know that movie. You have to. I um, just didn't know that specific line, so it's one of my favorite sue lines. me, uh, but don't. I don't have any money for you to take. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Guinness, Guinness World Records states that Seattle-based Northgate Mall had a 221 foot tall Douglas fir as the tallest Christmas tree ever erected. Erected. I knew you were going to do that. Uh, let's see. The Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index Inflation Calculator reported the tree cost $19,000 at the time. And would now be $185,000. Jesus. It's a tall ass tree. There's a picture of it in the daylight and then lit up. I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful. I mean, it's and it's like skinny. It's, I mean, it's cool looking. Guinness World Records also states that the world's tallest snowman or woman, rather, it says. Residents of Bethel, Maine, pitched in on the 122-foot, one-inch-tall creation, which measured just a few feet shorter than the Statue of Liberty. Wow. I know, right? Look at this. What? Look at this fucking snowman. Or snowwoman, whatever. It, of course I, it's I a woman. I don't, I don't know, but it's ginormous. They have like whole ass. I just realized they have like whole ass trees for her arms. Like it's not even branches. 
It's an actual tree. They're like real ass trees. I don't even know how they did that. I don't even know how they did that. Kudos. A man named Werner Erhard was the record holder for sending the most Christmas cards in a single year, which was in December of 1975. He sent 62,824 Christmas cards. Standard postage at the time would have run him $8,167.12, or around $30,783.76 in today's dollars. <laughs> nope. I wish I had $30,000 to just spend randomly on Christmas card postage. Uh, I mean, touche. Yes. I do. I wish I did as well, but... Um, I mean, kudos to if him. you I are know that many expecting people. a Christmas card from me and you did not get one, I don't send them out. <laughs> She's not sorry. And nobody got any. And if you think that if I did send them out, you'd be on a list. There is no list. There never will be. <laughs> My Christmas cards are on the posts that you get on Facebook <laughs> or on Instagram. Or if I send you something on Snapchat, that is my Christmas card. And it's going to be of my cats. (laughs) Same. I used to, when I, the years I have my shit together, it's a picture card with me and the cats. Or, you know, not me with the cats, but it's like pictures of the cats and then separate. Oh, so you made a Christmas card. Yeah, I do like a collage thing. Like, and you sent it out? Yeah, I have. Never done that. I have. I'm not consistent because I suck as a person. Um, One last silly tidbit. The people of Norway believe in Christmas witches, just like many other European people. People thought that witches and other evil spirits came out on Christmas Eve and that they would try to steal brooms to ride around in the night. So even today, supposedly, Norwegians hide their brooms away on Christmas Eve to ward off the witches. I mean, I'll leave mine out. If you want to take my broom, <laughs> you are more than welcome. You need a ride. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> Norwegians. Aren't they known as being like the most, like where all the redheads are? Mm, maybe. Viking type people. Yeah. Makes sense. Reds and blondes, probably. Like redheads, blue eyes, pale skin, freckles. She's getting to a point if you guys <laughs> hadn't figured it out. Are they also cat owners? Probably. <laughs> or with an affinity for leopard print and glitter. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, I have it too. I've told Morgan if they ever figure out a way to tattoo sparkles, I'm down. <laughs> uh, hook me up yeah those were our or at least my fun facts and then our separate stories of Christmas murder mayhem and other tragedies not from just around the midwest from from everywhere everywhere this was a happy hour bonus episode a free happy hour bonus episode in the future the hometown homicide happy hours will be a I guess what Patreon. I was trying to s- patreon a patron only bonus episode once or twice a month what's a happy hour even more casual keeping it more casual for the happy hour 
Maybe longer. Possibly alcohol enhanced. Alcohol definitely enhanced, well, I mean, considering you know, I started at three. The likelihood. Sometimes special guests. Who knows? This is a kind of an impromptu, not super planned out happy hour for you guys. A little Christmas present for y'all. Just wanted to bring something extra for the holiday. Just just a little extra. Did you ever watch what's that movie called? Jesus Christ. Waiting. Dean Cook's in it. Anna Faris. Justin Long. They work at a restaurant called Shenanigans. Oh, I've heard of it. I don't think oh, I've seen so it. so good. But they talk about just, just a little extra and extraordinary. Why did I not say Ryan Reynolds? Because he's 1,000% in it. The guy that talks out of the side of his mouth, um, Todd Packer from The Office, What's whatever his real name is. Oh, Todd. <laughs> you know who I mean, though. Yep. He's in it. Uh, Look how young and cute Ryan Reynolds was. He's always young and cute. I don't care how old he is I'm right now. Just he's dreamy. But yes, there will be rambling and. But I like how you like described someone to me as someone from The Office. Oh, I knew you would know the. You know, you. I knew you would know. Well. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our our first. If you've made it this far, right. But again, don't forget to check out our social media at Hometown Homicide Podcast. Twitter is at Ope Murder. (laughs) Feel free to give us a five star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Leave some comments on Instagram. Tweet at us. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. We want to tell stories to you, not about you. So stay safe. And this was Hometown Homicide.